this morning we are going to begin a, a four-week series uh, on Advent. Um, I know that throughout this room many of you might have very different backgrounds in terms of Advent, different ways you might have celebrated. Some of you might be thinking, I have no idea what Advent is. Um, prior to a couple years ago, I don't know that I really knew what Advent was. I remember my church growing up having some candles that we did right before Christmas every year, but that's all I really know. I don't remember the teaching behind it. I don't remember the significance of it. I just remember it was something with Christmas. And as I've been able to study um, the past couple years about what Advent is, it's been... It's just I've really grown to appreciate um, the celebration of Advent. Advent is it's not something that's taught specifically in the Bible. Nowhere does it say for the, for the four weeks prior to Christmas, churches should celebrate Advent. But it's something that is rooted in church tradition. It's rooted in church history. And I think that's a very good reason. Um, the word Advent comes from a Latin meaning the coming or the appearance or the arrival. Um, whatever word you want to um, kind of equate that with, but it's specifically talking about the coming of Jesus, the celebrating for the four weeks prior to Christmas, ce- uh, celebrating that, that, that longing, that hopefulness, that waiting, that desiring for Jesus to come. But it's also part of the purpose is to expand, because Christmas is not just this one day. It's not just this one day that we celebrate. It was not just one day that, that happened to be this awesome day in history, but it was a day that God had arranged. It was the day that had been prophesied about all through the Old Testament, all from eternity past, had been leading up to that day. It's so much more than just this one singular day. So for the next four weeks, what we're really going to do is build towards Christmas, build towards the coming of Jesus. But as the, as the New Testament church, as as a church in this time, like we're not just looking back celebrating Jesus' birth, which there's absolutely that. We are celebrating Jesus' birth on Christmas. But we're also talking about the longing, the, the waiting, the anticipation for Jesus to return. So we we're kind of talking about both of those over the next four weeks. Looking back, remembering, celebrating Jesus' birth, but also looking ahead and longing for Jesus to return. I'm going to read a quote by Noel Piper, who is John Piper's wife. Uh, I think this really hits on what um, we're going to study over the next couple weeks. She says, Advent is a season of looking back, thinking how it must have been, waiting for the promised salvation of God, not knowing what to expect. And at the same time, it is a season of looking ahead, waiting eagerly, and preparing ourselves to meet Jesus at his second coming. And this is kind of the idea that we're going to talk about over the next four weeks we're going we're to start in 2 Peter. So if you want to go ahead and start turning to 2 Peter 3. We actually, last year, we kind of talked a lot about 1 Peter um, during Advent. But we're going to start in 2 Peter chapter 3. And we're going to kind of use this as a springboard for a lot of different things in the next couple of weeks. As we look back at the Old Testament and see God's faithfulness to um, all those leading up to the birth of Jesus. But then also seeing how Peter in, the, in this chapter is talking a lot about the return of Jesus, longing for the return of Jesus. And we're going to see a lot of this. Peter is reminding them of the truth of Jesus' second coming. He's calling them to lives of holiness and honor as they await the second coming of Jesus. And that's, that's, that right there is kind of a, a brief five-second overview. But this morning, we're just going to go through the first six verses in chapter 3. I'm going to go ahead and read these. It should be up on the screen as well. 
So this is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact, that, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. Sorry. I planned to go through seven this morning until early this morning, and God kind of cut that one out for me. So I was reading, thinking I was going to seven. But so this morning, I've got, I've got just three kind of ideas that I want to get across this morning. I'm going to give them to you right off the bat. Um, if you're taking notes, feel free to jot them down. If you miss them this time, we'll kind of go through them again. Um, but three big things that I want to get across or convey this morning, they're, they're up on the screen. Number one, that we should continually remind ourselves of God's promises. We should continually remind ourselves of God's promises. Two, we should continually remind ourselves of God's faithfulness in the past. And three, we should continually expect God to remain faithful in the future. It sounds simple enough. It's not any big, weighty theological terms. There's not some big thing that you would not have probably said, yeah, that, that's right, we should do those things. But I think they're things that we often neglect or that we get distracted from because it's all, we get so caught up in the excitement but also the frustrations of the present and we get sucked into this narrow, this narrow view and what I'm going to try to do is kind of call us to see the bigger picture, to see God's faithfulness all in the past, but then to also long and expect God's faithfulness in the future. So, what, so Peter, in the first two verses, he says, he says that he, in both of them, in both of his letters, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandments of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. He's saying that I'm writing to you to stir you up, to, to, to re remind you of truth that you already know. He's, he's calling them, remember the holy prophets, remember the, the truth, that, the God's word in the Old Testament. Remember what Jesus said through the apostles. He's not saying anything new. He's not giving them this new lofty teaching, but calling them back to remember what God has already said. We should continually remind ourselves of God's promises. She'll be up on the screen again to remind you um, and remind the guy on the computer. But like what Peter is doing here is, is stirring people up to remember, to, to remember the truth of what God has said. Like this is essentially Tanner and I's role as we stand up here, as we, as we preach. Our goal is, is to say, look at what God has already said, reminding you of truth that God has already said. We're not adding anything new, I hope. If we are, we're all in trouble. But like we're reminding you of what God has already said. We're reminding you of the truth that is here. I mean, there, there is absolutely helping you apply it to your life. There is absolutely that.
But that is worth nothing if we're not pointing to the truth of Scripture. We're not pointing to God's Word. Because if we ever get away from that, like I said, we're all in trouble. Because nothing, no words that I say, no words that Tanner says, has any power to affect heart change, has no power to save, has no power to do anything. I mean, take Tanner's Song of Solomon series. I'm going to nitpick a little bit. Not, not really. But, like, I, I really do. I hope that our hearts were stirred to worship. But not because of Tanner's words. Because Tanner was, was pointing back to the truth of Scripture. I can't make you worship. Tanner can't make you worship. But we can point to the truth and say, look what God said last week. Was it last week, two weeks ago? Tanner was pointing to Ephesians 2. And saying, why do we worship? Not because we're telling you to, but look at Ephesians 2. You were dead. Now you're alive. You were dead. Now you're alive. That is why we worship. Not because the preacher's telling you to. Not because we think you should. Because you were dead and you've been made alive. It's the truth of Scripture. That is our role. That is what Peter's doing. Saying, look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. That is our job. Peter does this also in the first chapter of this book. And you don't have to flip there, but it's back in 2 Peter 1, 12-13. It's up on the screen. He says, Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder. He's not talking about the second coming of Jesus here. He's talking about some qualities that he's already said that put on these types of attitudes, put on this type of thing. But he's saying, though you know them. I'm going to remind you of them, though you already know them. As long as I'm in this body, he says, I'm going to remind you. This is what Peter's doing in this letter. He says that's what he's doing in both of his letters, which some people say the other letter is 1 Peter. Some people say, no, it's not. It doesn't matter. But... What I want to do, like what I want to do this morning is kind of introducing this whole topic of Advent, this whole longing for the coming of Jesus, is I want to just try to stir up you as you to remember back to God's faithfulness all through Scripture, but also in your life. Because it doesn't matter whether you've been saved for 30 years or for 30 minutes. We are continually in a spot that we need reminders. We need to remind ourselves of God's promises, of God's being faithful to His promises. Most notably, the gospel. I know I've said this before. I know we've kind of said this before. When we never get to a place where we move past needing to be reminded of the gospel, even daily reminding ourselves of the truth of the gospel. So that's what I want to do here. I'm, I'm going to fly through a bunch of promises that God made in the Old Testament. Now, you can try to write them down. I'm not going to give you time, though. Um, maybe I can send out a list later in the week, but I'm just going to fly through some of these. Not the fulfillments of the promises, but just promises that God made in the Old Testament. God promised Adam and Eve that their offspring would fix the problems caused by sin. Genesis 3. God promised Noah that he would never again flood the entire earth. Genesis 9. God promised Abraham that he would make him into a great nation. Genesis 12. God promised Abraham that he would have a son when he was over 100 years old, Genesis 17. God promised Moses that he would deliver the Israelites out of slavery, Exodus 6. God promised to give the Israelites the promised land, also Exodus 6. 
God promised Israel that if they obeyed him, they would stay in the land. If they disobeyed him, he would not, they would not stay in the land. It's in Deuteronomy 30. God promised Joshua that he would be with him wherever he sent him. Joshua 1. God promised David that he would be king after Saul. 1 Samuel 16. God promised that a Savior would be born. All of Isaiah, all of the Old Testament. I mean, I, I couldn't pick, pinpoint one reference to use there. But I'm not going to pretend that this even begins to scratch the surface of God's, God's faithfulness, God's promises. But I really tried to use ones that are familiar. That you say, if you've been in the church for any length of time, you say, yeah, I, I remember these. I, I, I've heard that before. But how often do you remind yourself of the promises that God makes? How often do you remind yourself of these things? I think that would be a really cool Bible study sometime, just personally, to do, is walking through the promises that God made in the Old Testament. Even the New Testament, that reminding yourself of these promises. But here's the thing. Why this is important? Why this is important is because God fulfills every single promise that He makes. God come throughs, come, come, come throughs. He comes through on every promise that He makes. Like, every single one of them. This is why we should remind ourselves. I'm going to go ahead and read verses 3 through 6 again in 2 Peter 3. So he says he's going to stir them up to reminder. And he says, Knowing this, first of all, the scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, What is the promise of his coming? Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. So Peter's referring to the last days. And all through the New Testament, we see the last days being referred to as the time frame between the coming of the Holy Spirit in Acts 2 and the second coming of Jesus. So he, the, the readers that Peter's writing to are in the last days that we as a church right now are, are in the last days that are talked about in Scripture. And Peter's saying, there's, people, there's going to be people come that's, that are going to call into question Jesus' second coming. They're going to say, no, 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 if, Jesus, if God was active in the world, if he was still doing things, Jesus would have already returned. But no, they're saying that things are just continuing as they were, as they always have since the very beginning. They're saying that God is not intervening, that things are just going as they would. Is that not the same kind of mindset that so many people in this world have today? That everything is just going along as it has, as, as things evolve, as the natural process is just occurring, as all these things is just going on as it has. More and more, I feel like people are discrediting God's role in creation or in the natural process as we're able to explain more and more things with science. People are saying, oh, well, like, it, can't, it can't have been God. There's no way. Again, people are saying it's just continuing as it has from the beginning of creation. I think that God has given us so much knowledge to be able to explain things with science. And I think that is purely a gift of grace. Purely a gift of grace. But once things get to a place that can't be explained with science, 
that's when people start to reject it. They say, well, that, that can't, there's no way that was God. Think of the, the virgin birth, for example, as Jesus being born of a virgin. That is something that's rejected by people outside of the church because that's not how anatomy and science, that's, that doesn't work. We won't get into that. But people begin to reject it when things don't line up with science. Well, the Bible, some of the things in there might be okay, but if it doesn't add up with science, we're going to reject that. And I'm going to chase a rabbit if I continue. But like, if there is ever a question, I think that so much of Scripture does line up with science, and I think, that, I think God works in really cool ways. But when it doesn't, we as the church have to know what we're going to believe. Peter says that people who do this, people who reject that, are deliberately, every week, every week, um, the people who do this are deliberately overlooking the truth of God's activity in the world. Deliberately overlooking. He points, he points to two specific references. He says the creation of the world, and then he points to the flood. He says people are rejecting the fact that God created the world with his word. That out of nothing he created the world. That God has intervened, and he intervened by creating the world. And then he intervened with the flood. That God is not, things are not just going along as they would. Things are not just going along. God has intervened. God has been faithful. God has come through on his promises in the past. God is active. There's so much that we could get into in these couple verses about the flood and about creation. But what I want to do is look at the bigger picture of this. The bigger picture. Because you see, God, Peter, these people that Peter's talking about, they're calling into question God's faithfulness in the future, his second coming. They're, they're calling into question this because they're neglecting to see his faithfulness in the past. They're not, seeing, they're, they're, they're not believing his faithfulness in the future because they're rejecting to see his faithfulness in the past. That's where point number two comes in. We should continually remind ourselves of God's faithfulness in the past. Continually remind ourselves. Like, this should only grow our anticipation for God to be faithful in the future continually reminding ourselves of God's faithfulness in the past. So last year during the Advent series, Tanner talked a little bit more about God fulfilling all the promises. He talked about David, about Adam and Eve, about Abraham. I went back and listened to those um, last week or so. I'm not going to go. We're going to do it a little, little bit more in the next couple of weeks. But I just want to, again, fly through a list of those promises and, and we'll see how God fulfilled each one of them. God promised Adam and Eve that their offspring would fix the problem, fix the sin problem, come and redeem. And it got a little dicey for a while with Cain and Abel. One of their sons killed another one. The other one was kicked out, basically. And it looks very bleak for a while. But then God gave them Seth, gave them another son. God promised Noah that he would never again destroy the earth with a flood and gave that promise with a rainbow. We've never again seen God judge the entire earth with a flood, but we continue to see rainbows. God promised Abraham that he would make him into a great nation. Fast forward a couple hundred years through famine, through slavery, through a lot of hardship, 
God grew his family from two to 70 to a couple million people. God promised Abraham that his family would bless the nations. And we see that through the rest of Scripture. We see that now of the gospel going to the nations. God promised Abraham that he would give him a son in his old age. God fulfilled this promise through Isaac. God promised to give the Israelites the promised land through trial, through battle, through struggle. God gave them this land. God promised David he would make him king after Saul. Though tempted to take it by force, God gave him the kingdom. God promised Israel that he would remove them from the land if they did not obey. God removed them from the land because they did not obey. All through the Old Testament, we see God promising a Savior to come and redeem the world from sin, to redeem his people from their slavery to sin. Beginning with the promise in Genesis 3.15, working all the way through the Old Testament, we see God being faithful to that promise of sending Jesus. Then that's what we celebrate on Christmas, the God being faithful to his promise. Because every single time God has made a promise in Scripture, he fulfills it. I mean, it's, it's full of it. I'm just scratching the surface, maybe, on God's promises that he's fulfilling. And what I'm, the attitude, the mindset that I'm calling us to is just one to remember the promises of God. Remember the promises that God has been so faithful to fulfill. To remember these often. And as we, as, as we close today, we're not there yet, not even close, sorry. But as we close today, I'm going to really challenge to you to remember how God has been faithful in Scripture, but also how He has been so faithful to you individually, to you personally. But here's the challenge in that. Here's the difficulty in that. We are very prone to think more of what we have not seen God do in our lives, what we expect Him to do, what we think He promised us, what we want Him to do. We see how the ways He's not done things, and we get so caught up in those that we neglect to see how faithful He is, and we've, we neglect to, to worship Him as faithful when we get caught up in ways that we see that in our minds that He's not, in our minds. So I want to give you a little example because I, I feel like in confession that I have been here for a couple months of being too caught up in what I see God not doing than worshiping God for his faithfulness to me. As many of you know, Brent and I have been really praying for a house, um, praying that God would, would show us exactly where he wants us um, to buy a house, where like the location, how much he wants us to spend. Like we, we, we've made multiple offers. We've been under contract with two houses and just nothing, nothing has worked out. And Brent and I pray together almost every morning and one, of the, and one of the things that we continue to pray about is, God, just give us a house wherever you want it, wherever you want us to be. And that we, we continually feel this desire, especially as four-year-olds continue to overflow, overflow more and more in our small apartment. And I found myself becoming frustrated, becoming 
Like, why, God? Like, why has it been six months of us waiting for this house? Why have we looked at seemingly tons of houses? Why, why aren't you being faithful? But my error in this, my sin in this has really become very apparent to me over the last couple weeks. Like, in this example that I'm giving, I find myself questioning God on a promise that he never made. God never promised to give the Bennetts a three-bedroom, two-bathroom house in the center of Johnson City. That's not a promise that he's made, but somehow in my selfish, limited mind, I found myself being frustrated at him not fulfilling that promise that was, that's not even there. That's where I've been, and it's been very revealing the last couple of weeks because God has really whacked me over the head with this over the past couple of weeks. Um, so I don't know if it was part of the sermon preparation process or what, but it's just every night at dinner, we ask the girls, what are you thankful for? Uh, we kind of go around the table talking about what we're thankful for. Usually it's, I'm thankful we play at school, or I'm thankful you let us watch TV. That's usually the two that go around back and forth. I'm thankful for this food, or whatever that, that their sister said right before them. About two weeks ago, Bella, in answering this question, said, I'm thankful you have a house, and that your house is safe, and that you let us stay at your house. These words spoken by a four-year-old have not left me since then. A four-year-old was thankful for something that I was so taking for granted. I had totally neglected to see how faithful God had been to give us an apartment to live in that has been more than enough to care for these girls. It's been more than enough to provide for ourselves. It's been more than enough. But I was too caught up in my selfish thinking. I was too, too caught up in my wanting to see God be faithful in something in an area that he had not done yet. I had to spend a lot of time in the last couple of weeks really repenting of this, really, specifically over the last week, of saying, like, God, like, that's not a promise that you made. Like, I'm missing your faithfulness. I'm missing how good and faithful you have been because of my own sin, because of my own selfishness. And preparing over the last couple of weeks, or specifically the last week, Brennan and I have had a lot of conversations just like, man, God has been so good. He's been so faithful, perfectly faithful. Specifically over the last five months, specifically as we've had these girls, there's been time after time after time that God has given us so much more than we deserve. I don't want any of this next little bit to think, like, look at me, look at us. Like, I hope it's like, look at Jesus. Look at what he continues to do. But when we knew that we were potentially going to have these girls long term, we had no idea what to expect. We had no idea what was going on. We still don't. But we, we began to pray every day that God would open up a spot for them in preschool. Because like, we didn't know what was going to happen. Brenda was going back to work, and, and all this was about to happen, and, and we are trying to have babysitting, and like, all this stuff. Like, God, just open up a place in preschool. Like, we don't know where. We, we don't know what's going on. The day before they went into state's custody, two spots happened to open up in the preschool where Brenna works. God did that. 
We've never been rolling in dough through this whole scenario, through this whole situation. And we knew we needed another bed. Dale and Andy had been very gracious to give us a mattress that we had had for like six months prior to that. But we knew with, like, with them going into state's custody, there was going to have to be like the frame and all, like more than just a mattress. And we're like, I don't know what's going on. Like, what do we do? And we had multiple people come and say, we want to help with a bed. We want to get you a bed. As it turns out, a local organization said, we've got a bed with your name on it. Come get it. God gave us a bed. As I was sitting at the kitchen table on Friday, um, kind of working on this sermon, really just reflecting on how good God has been, how he has given us more than we need financially, space. I mean, there's so many things that God has continued to give us. I was sitting there just like, God, you are going to be faithful to give us what we need. You are going to be faithful to give us what we need. I went down to check the mail shortly after, and we had, we had two letters from extended family members. One of my extended family members, one of Brenna's, and just said, hey, like, we just felt like we wanted to give you a gift. We just felt led to, to do this, and there was $400 in there. And it was just God continuing to show that he's going to be faithful. If I would just see him, his faithfulness that he has provided so many times, why can I not expect him to be faithful in the future? My point in saying all this is not that if you would be thankful, God's going to give you $400. If you would, would rejoice in his faithfulness, that God's going to give you $400. That's not, that's not what I'm trying to say. I'm also not trying to say that if God would not have given us that gift, that he would not have still been faithful. Because he has been so faithful. We didn't deserve that. That was purely a gift. That was purely grace. But it's him continuing to remind me of his faithfulness. If I would rejoice and be thankful and, and look back and say, wow, God, look what you've done. How much hope does that give me for the future? For him to continue to provide. Reminding myself of God's faithfulness in the past has really helped to guard myself against doubting his faithfulness in the future. And I say that within the last like a week or two because it's just been something that he's really been working on me. Because in all that, God has given us so much reason to boast in him. Not because of what we have, not because of what we're doing, not because of our plans, not because of what we want, but because of how he's providing, how he's leading, how he is working. I want to encourage you to continue to remind yourself of God's faithfulness. I'm going to, if, you, if you have your Bibles, flip to Psalm 111. It'll be up on the screen as well. Listen to the psalmist as he writes about God's faithfulness, what God has continued to do over and over and over. He says, Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Full of splendor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. 
He has caused His wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear Him. He remembers His covenant forever. He has shown His people the power of His works in giving them the inheritance of the nations. The works of His hands are faithful and just. All His precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He sent redemption to His people. He has commanded His covenant forever. Holy and awesome is His name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. Great are the works of the Lord. He provides food. He has shown His power in His works. He has given His people an inheritance that is undeserved. He works the, with His hands that are, in it, that are faithful and just. Most of all, He has sent redemption for His people. Like, if you can think of nothing else of how God has been faithful, He sent His own Son as a sacrifice for you. The wrath that you deserved, He took. That's the culmination of so many promises in the Old Testament. That if His people would believe in Him, that they have this promise. There's no bigger promise for us to continually set our minds upon. It's just don't forget the ways that God has been faithful. Peter's telling them to remember the promises. Remember these promises. Remember. But also in this context that Peter's writing, he's also saying, remember the promises that have not been fulfilled yet. Remember the promises that have not been fulfilled. Like we have a promise that Jesus is going to return. The Old Testament prophets taught this. Jesus himself taught this. A little teaser for next week. God has promised that Jesus is going to return. Like, God is not done being faithful. He's not done with His promises. And we should continue to expect Him to be faithful in the future. See, God promised that the gospel alone is the power to save. God promised that He is building His church. God promised that, that those He saves, he's, He sends His Spirit to live within. He promises that Jesus is going to return. He promises that His will is going to be done. Do you remind yourself of these types of things? As the church, do we remind ourselves of these truths? Do you remind yourself, I know I'm saying this over and over and over again, are you reminding yourself of God's promises? Are you reminding yourself of the way that He's been faithful all through Scripture? Are you reminding yourself of the way that He's been faithful to you? Do you remind yourself of the promises that He has made going forward? Like, that's what I want to call us during this at the time of Advent, during this time between now and Christmas, and then every day after that. Let this be our heart. Let this be our attitude. Not to the cra Don't let your minds wander to the craziness of the season. Don't let your minds wander to the materialistic tides of this culture. 
Don't let your minds wander to any sort of false hope that this world would try to offer us. Let your mind wander to God's faithfulness. When you have downtime, don't run to your phone. Don't run to the internet. Don't run to this or run to that or whatever your outlet is. Let your mind meditate on God's faithfulness. Remind yourself over and over and over upon these things. The people Peter's talking about are missing, neglecting to see, rejecting God's faithfulness in the future because they're not remembering his faithfulness in the past. Church, let's remember God's faithfulness in the past to us, to everyone in the Old Testament, to, the, to, to everyone everywhere. God is faithful. God is faithful. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your faithfulness. You are so faithful and we are so not faithful. You are faithful when we fail to see it. You are faithful when we are selfish and in our own sin. Father, you fulfill all your promises. You are the only one that can be trusted every single time. People all around us are going to fail us. People in our lives are going to fail us, are going to break promises. But you don't, Father. Just remind us of this often. Father, continue to do work in us just to cause us to rejoice because of your faithfulness. Rejoice because of what you have done, what you are doing, and what you will do in the future. God, we have, we can have utmost confidence in you. Store our hearts to have confidence. Give us that faith that, that that knows without the shadow of a doubt that you are faithful, that you are trustworthy, that you are true. Father, stir us to worship because of this. It's all for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So I really want to challenge you to spend a couple minutes just reminding yourself of God's faithfulness to you Maybe it's the things we talked about this morning. Maybe it's just your, whatever's going on in your life as you look back. Whatever that is. I really want to encourage you right now just to close your eyes. I'm not going to ask you to do any of that raise your hand stuff or anything. Don't worry. But just close your eyes and remind yourself of what God has done. anything good that you don't deserve it, but God has done it. I'm going to read Ephesians 2, 4 through 7. It says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love for which he loved us, 
even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. God has been faithful in all of eternity. God has been faithful. One of the songs that we're going to sing says, My soul magnifies the Lord. He has done great things for me. Because of the great love for which He loved us, even when we were dead, made us alive with Christ. By grace you have been saved. There's no greater thing that He has done. Let us worship. Let us praise Him. Spend time, and spend time thanking Him. Spend time rejoicing at what He's done. But then let that lead you to a place of worship. We worship in song. We worship in prayer. However you want to worship, feel free to worship. If you are a Christian, if you say, Jesus is my only hope, we invite you to come take communion as we remember what He's done. But worship, there's no other response to his faithfulness.